0: Oh, so, there's next week, okay, and there's also tomorrow night, Tobias' small group, tomorrow lunch, invite your friends. Guys, there's people who ought to know Jesus, and they're going to ask you someday why you didn't tell them, okay? They've been invited to be a part of this thing that God is doing. Okay, we are, you guys, guys, guys want to study the Bible? Okay, who who doesn't want to study the Bible? Okay, now you're scared to raise your hand. Okay, to, um, you're, you're just joking me, man. Okay. Okay, everybody else wants to study the Bible, right? Okay, okay, we're going to practice this. Who wants to study the Bible? Okay, is, is there anybody who doesn't know how to raise your hand? Okay, I think every, everybody knows how to raise your hand. Guys, this, this is participation. This is, this, I want you guys engaged in what we're doing here tonight. We've been going through the book of Luke. And you guys ever notice when you're reading through the Bible, you come across certain parts that you're going like, I have no idea what that means. You guys ever done that? And sometimes you're in a situation where, you're like, I don't know what that means, and you just kind of tuck it away and you th- think about it and you ponder it. And sometimes for me, it's there's been things that I didn't understand that years later, I was like, I get it. I get what this is about. So last Wednesday in our prayer time with the staff at Grace, I was in, in staff prayer, and I was about to read a scripture. As I'm reading the scripture, I was like, that's what. Jesus was talking about in Luke 22. So what we're talking about, and it was just in time because they had that two weeks later, I wouldn't know what I'd be saying to you guys tonight, okay? So Luke 22, verse 32, this is what Jesus says. Jesus asked them, he's speaking to his students, his apprentices, his disciples. He says, When I sent you guys, when I sent you without a purse, bag, or sandals, did you guys lack anything? What he's talking about, is there was a time where he takes the 12 guys that are, he's teaching, and he sends them out two by two to all these places that he's about to go, and they're amazed at the results that they experience. And then, after he's trained them in doing outreach, he takes the seven, the group of 70 that he's trained. That's kind of the broader uh, community of people that are following him, and he tra- he sends them out two by two. And when they come back, they're like, "Yes, we saw." God, work. The, the, he says, we saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Jesus says, I've given you guys authority, on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing is going to harm you. So he's saying, so he's, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's like, I sent you guys out to do ministry, and when you guys went out to do ministry, I told you don't take your purse, don't take your bag, don't take your machete, don't take anything, just, you guys just go. And everything's going to be provided. Okay? Now, he tells them, Well, he asked them, did you guys like anything? And they're like, nope, nothing. We didn't like anything. Verse 36. He said to them, but now, if you have a purse or a wallet, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And so the disciples responded, they're like, hey, we got two swords. And Jesus says, okay, good job, that's enough, let's go. And they head out down the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane. They pray, Jesus is arrested, within a few hours, he's taken off to be put to death. And you're thinking, did I miss something? Okay, so this is what I want to ask you guys about. Think, if you were teaching tonight, who wants to teach? Charlie, you no, no, sorry, man. Okay, if you guys were teaching tonight, and this was the text, and you're like, Lord, what does this have to say to a bunch of college students and young adults in 2018? What would you teach, okay? So can you put my, my phone number up there? <laughs> text me. Text me what you think. What would you teach, okay? Everybody get your phones out. At least pretend you're texting me, even if you're not. Get your phones out. Text me what you would teach if, this, if you were teaching tonight. If you take this seriously, I might have to teach you next week. Okay, you guys can keep texting me, but I'm going to give you some hints, okay? You guys want some hints? Okay, this, Some hints. first of all, first hint is Jesus, did I, did I give you those hints to put up on the screen? First hint is Jesus is comparing what ministry had been like to what ministry is going to be like, okay? Right? Is that what Jesus does? He's like, hey, when you guys did, did ministry before, this is what it was like, and now you guys are going to do ministry, and it's going to be different now, right? It's a comparison, right? So this is a hint. Okay, what had it been like? What had ministry been like when he sent them out? It was good, it was good, it was easy. They were popular; everybody liked Jesus. I mean, coming, you you able to feed five thousand people with five loaves and two fish? You're doing good, right? Everybody wants to hang around that kind of person, okay? So it was it was easy. They were on the in crowd. It was a popular thing. And now, what's it going to be like? Now it's going to be hard, okay? And what's going to bring about this change? What is? The death of Jesus. Their their master, their teacher is all of a sudden going to be put to death. And people are turning against him. Okay. Has the mission changed? The mission hadn't changed. Jesus came to set up a kingdom, right? Jesus is now, that night he's talking to them about setting up the kingdom. And they're going to continue to work on setting up this kingdom. So the mission didn't change. Still kingdom building. By the way, the mission still hasn't changed today. Okay, so first hint is he's comparing what ministry was like to what ministry is going to be like. Okay, second hint. You guys want the second hint? Say yes, please. Okay, second hint is, write this down. This is just Bible study 101. Context plus content equals meaning. Are those things not up there one at a time? If they're not, then don't put them up. Context plus content equals meaning. Guys, just remember this, okay? I want you guys to remember what the context is. What has Jesus been teaching that night? He's about to be put to death. He's going to be resurrected. He's going to ascend in heaven. And then what's going to happen 50 days later? Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes upon the people in power. Why does the Holy Spirit come? It is because they ask. But what's God's motivation to send the Holy Spirit? To empower them to set up his kingdom. You guys want the Holy Spirit work in your life? Yeah, I love the Holy Spirit. I love it when the Holy Spirit touches me. You know why the Holy Spirit touching you? The Holy Spirit anointing is always for ministry. Guys, understand this. If you get, if we don't understand that anointing is for ministry, then what we ends up happening is either you 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 do ministry without the anointing, it burned out, or you do. Holy, you wait for the Holy Spirit to touch you, but if you don't pour it out in ministry, he stops pouring it out. Do you guys understand that? The reason the Holy Spirit pours himself out on the people is so that you can carry out his work in this world. you got to get that, because otherwise, you look for something from him that you don't pour out, and it, and, it, and it stops happening. Okay, so you pour yourself out, but don't pour yourself out more than you're being poured into. Holy Spirit power for ministry. So he, that the, the, Jesus gives his Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost for the purpose of setting up his kingdom, for destroying the kingdom of darkness, inviting the people of this world, including the people who are in your classes over there, to come under the rule of King Jesus. The rule of the righteous king, the king of light. Not just come under the rule of some earthly power. Not Egypt, not Babylon, not Persia, not Greece, not Rome, not the United States. The king of the universe, his rule is the only rule that's ever going to work. All the other kingdoms are, are not the kingdom of the Christ. You guys, understand, that's the problem with this world. There's people in charge, including you and me, who aren't perfect. But King Jesus will reign. That he's set, he, was, he came to set up his kingdom, and he is still setting up his kingdom. And it's going to happen because people like you, filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, will destroy the kingdom of darkness and bring in the kingdom of light. So that's the context. You guys understand what the context is? The context of what Jesus just said here is the building of his kingdom. That's what the whole book of Luke has been about. Building his kingdom, building his kingdom, training people so that they can go and build his kingdom. Okay, now the third hint. Third hint about what this is all about. Did somebody say no? Okay, third hint of what this is all about is the word... Makaira. Okay, you guys already got that. Okay, Makaira. What's Makaira mean? Okay, you guys don't know because you don't speak Greek. But Makaira is translated into English as sword. If you were translating and you knew what the word Makaira meant, I think you probably wouldn't translate it sword, because it's caused a lot of confusion. Okay, the word Makaira is the root word for an English word that we. All know. You know what it is? Machete. Is it machete or machete? Machete. Okay. Okay. In my language in the Philippines, it's sondang. Okay. What's a machete used for? Cut grass, reap, bushes. It can be used for killing battle. I've had friends who were killed with machete. I've been attacked with machetes before. Three times. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so you guys don't know that story? I'll tell you another time. Okay. I've told that story. Two of those times were one night in two totally different places. I've told you guys that story. Okay. Okay. So I know I I have friends who have been killed by machetes. But typically a machete is not used to kill people. And there is a word in Greek for the kind of sword that is used to kill people, and it's not makaira. Okay? So understand, this is the word for machete, basically means knife. It's hard for us uh, Americans to understand the context of what is going on here with machete because we don't, who's got a machete? Okay, some of you guys do. Okay, some of you guys do. Who used a machete today? Anybody use a machete today? Okay, let me just tell you, where I grew up in the Philippines, I actually thought about showing you videos of of kids who are too small to be able to talk yet who are using machetes, okay? I got my first machete when I was five years old because I'm serious. I'm I, mean, I grew up in the rainforest, guys. So machete, everybody needs a machete unless you live in America. In America, you've got all kinds of other tools to do the things that you need to do. But in my tribe where I grew up in the Philippines, we use machetes to cut our fingernails, to cut our toenails, to cut the baby's umbilical cord, to make lunch, to open a can of tuna, to build a house, and to slice the fish, and sometimes we wash it between all that. Okay. I mean, the machete is used for everything. And, so, and it's, you know, we think in, in our... American society that a machete must just be used for killing people. It's not just for killing people, guys. Okay, so so when Jesus is telling the disciples that that it's g- getting a machete is probably a good idea, what Jesus isn't saying is that twelve these twelve guys are going to be able to defeat the Roman military using two swords. Okay, get that. Jesus isn't giving a training on how to do. Actual physical warfare. Does that make sense? Just in case some of you thought that Jesus is is okay and you guys using um, brutal force to to make the kingdom, to build the kingdom. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Okay? Jesus is saying that the tide of popularity has turned against you guys. And therefore, you're going to have to, as it was before when you went out and did ministry, people prepared food for you. Guess what? They're not going to do that anymore because they're scared to be associated with you. So you better get the tool so you can cut your own food up. Does that make sense? That's what Jesus is teaching them. Okay, but that's not all. You guys remember, those of you, especially who've been in Bible QA, understand that there's different layers of Bible study. There's the there's the layer, there's the obvious layer of what the Bible's teaching, the story, the face value, truth of what it says in the Word. But so often there's a, a deeper layer, a prophetic layer of what is going on in the Bible. So, is there anything that's being taught here at a prophetic level that Jesus is referring to that can be applied to our lives? And, of course, you know where I'm going, because all of you are going to go, yeah, otherwise you'll be asking us the question. So, yes, there is. So, fourth, fourth hint. Fourth hint about what this all is all about is Jesus explains, Jesus explains right here, that there's a prophetic connection in what he's saying. See what he says here? In verse 36, he said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it. And if you have a bag, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. And here he goes, he, he hints at prophecy. He refers to prophecy. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. Speaking of Isaiah 53, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, in fact, all that is written must be, it must be, is reached in his fulfillment, Jesus says. Okay, so the hint has to do with Jesus' logic here. Just think about Jesus' logic, okay? He's saying, you guys need to get a sword because the Scripture says that I am going to be considered a criminal. And you guys are associated with me, and so you need to fend for yourself. Not necessarily fighting with a sword, but having some tool To provide for yourselves. So where does it say that? Did you guys catch where it says that? Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 verse, well let's read from verse 12. You got it up here? Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. This is written 700 years before Jesus, okay? Understand the prophetic prophetic writing here. 700 years before Jesus, the book of Isaiah, speaking of what Messiah would do. I will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life under death, speaking of Jesus' death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. English paraphrase of that is he was considered a criminal for he bore the sins of many and made trans- intercession for the transgressors. Jesus' point is this. I've been popular, guys, but I'm not going to be popular anymore. You guys were popular while well, 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 the popularity lasted, but that's over And now you need to take your tool because people aren't going to contribute to our cause anymore. I have become an enemy of the state. And you guys are associated with me and people are going to be afraid to be with you. So Jesus clearly refers to Isaiah 53, right? That's pretty clear. Okay. But I think there's a hint about more. Okay. I think there's a hint that Jesus is talking about more than just Isaiah 53. Because look what he says in verse 37. Look at verse 37. He says, what it, yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. What's written about Jesus in the Old Testament? A bunch of stuff, right? And it's all, it's all encrypted. I mean, it's all under in a deeper layer than just what's on the surface. If you just look at the surface, you're like, I don't see a whole lot about Jesus. But every book in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Over and over and over, the Old Testament points to Jesus. So, Here's the question. Is there anything in the Old Testament that has to do with two swords that Jesus might be referring to that points to him? Think, 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 think,
1: think, think. It's
0: going to be hard. You know what? You're, I don't think you're going to get it. Because I've wa- I wondered this for years. And then last Wednesday, I was, I was in the prayer room with the staff. I was just about to read a scripture, and I was like, whoa, there it is. I got it. So I'm going to share that with you guys, and I think you guys are going to be excited, okay? Okay, so. What was, G- what was God's strategy in the Old Testament? Bless you. Thank you. Oh, you're talking to him. Okay. Bless me too, please. Okay. Um, God's strategy in the, New Test- in the Old Testament, you guys remember what? He creates humanity for what purpose? To glorify him. That's the overall purpose of man is to glorify him. But how is man- humanity going to glorify him? His chosen people, you got chosen people, that's right. You, but you, think about this. I don't know if, it, uh, some of you guys aren't going to like how I teach this, but that's okay. Just agree to disagree with me. But this is what the Genesis starts with. In the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty. It was basically a mess, right? The earth is a mess. Now, you know, in however much time tra- transpired between there, we don't all know, and we don't have to agree on all that. But here's the deal. The, the, God has a plan for the messed up situation that this planet is in. And he creates a garden, and in that garden he puts humanity. And he tells humanity what their job description is. Their job description is to what? To work. And it's more than just to work. It's to subdue the earth. That doesn't mean ruin the earth. That means take care of the earth. Take the earth under your control. Why does that need to happen? Because the earth is not the way that it could be. It has not reached its maximum potential unless... Humanity does what it's supposed to do, right? Are you guys okay with with that? Anybody ready to cut my head off yet? Okay, that's what I believe that is the purpose of man, to to do something with what this planet would have been had it not been for humanity. So, of course, the devil's got a plan for humanity. He rips away the right to rule this world from humans, right? Right? And the devil's got it. That's why when the the devil speaks to Jesus, he says, you bow down and worship me. I'll give you the right back to, to, uh, to this planet back because I have the right to give it to anybody I want. You guys remember that? Okay, because, so the devil holds that at that point, but God's still got a plan. His plan is to call a group of people to himself for the purpose of redemption for the whole, for the whole world. And he calls this, this man, Abram, remember? He calls him out of Mesopotamia brings him to the land that he will show him what happens to be what is modern day Israel. He brings him there and then he, he plans to bring him there right between Asia and Africa and Europe so that the people of the world, all over the world, would know his goodness. That's his plan. Redemption for the world, God plans to take it back, and so the in Canaan, remember Canaan land Canaan is is the promised land where it was modern day Israel. The Israelites spend how many years in Egypt in slavery four hundred and thirty years in slavery they come out of slavery and they spend because of their disobedience they spend 40 years in the promised land and then they're there on the on the at the bank of the Jordan River and they're ready to go into the land to take that land for God so that his name would be made famous through uh, across the world for all people that all people would experience his goodness that's his plan so there they are on the banks of the Jordan River where I want to take you guys and they're looking up into Jerusalem. It's a 3,000 foot climb from Jordan River up to Jerusalem. And Moses has just died. So let's look at Joshua, okay? We're going somewhere with this. Are you guys still with me? Okay. Okay. Joshua 1. Guys, look at Joshua 1. After the death of, death of Moses. In other words, this is a new chapter. This is a new era. The servant of the Lord. After Moses was dead, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, the guy who'd been Moses' aide. Okay, this is Joshua 1, guys. You've got to bring your Bibles if you want to understand what's going on here. This is just going to not make sense. Moses, this is what God said to, Mo, to Joshua Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land. I'm about to give you, give to them, to the Israelites. Look at verse 3. I will give you, you Israelites, you people who bear my name, I will give you. Every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Where is he going to give them? Every place that he sets his foot. Every place where the, the Israelites put their foot, wherever they go, how much land are they going to get? As much as they want. God's going to plan to give them everything, but they got to go take it. Okay. Every place that you set your foot, as I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Peace. He says it again. think he means it. Be strong, very courageous. Be careful, though, to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Why? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, only then, will you be prosperous and successful. How about I command you? He says a third time. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua, the leader of the people, he goes and he tells the people, get, uh, he, he, no, he tells the officers, go through the camp and tell the people, to get their supplies ready. Three days from now, we're going to cross the Jordan River and we're going to take possession of the land that the Lord is giving you for your own. Okay. Here's what I want you guys to see. You guys still with me? Here's what I want you to see. The success of the Israelites setting up their kingdom. Depended on a couple things here. What two things did it depend on? What was that? Okay. Okay. Meditating on the Word of God. Knowing the Word of God. The success of their campaign depended on whether they would know, would know and obey the Word of God. There's one more thing that I already kind of mentioned. What? They have to go and what? Possess it. they got to put their feet there. The success of the campaign depended on whether they'd go and take the land and whether they'd live in the Word of God, depend, meditating on the Word of God. Do you guys understand what, what's going on here? It doesn't say anything about their military weapons. Nothing. Nothing at all. Okay, I want you guys to see the map. See the map of the place that he's talking about. Okay. If they would do those two things, if they would take go step their foot in the right places— and they would trust the Lord. How much of this land would they get according to what God just said here? It says from the river Euphrates to, to the border of Egypt and from the Arabian. Oh, wow. Check it out. It's like magic. Oh, here, follow my finger. See if you can follow my finger, man. No, I'm just teasing. Okay. Um, so basically this whole area, the whole area they're going to get if they take it and if they follow God. Okay. Just think about the application for your life. I think you guys know what the application is. But here's the deal. Did they take the land? How long ago was this? This is a long time ago, 3,500 years ago. 3,500 years ago, th- did they take the land? Nope. They never took it. They still haven't taken it to this day. They still have not taken the land. But what I want you guys to see is that in order for them To defeat their enemies, it wasn't going to be because of the military equipment they had. It was going to be because of God's power alone. It was going to be God's power that gave them that land, but they had to follow through with it. So as I was reading through this, I thought, I wonder how much military equipment did they have? Yeah, probably not. I mean, the Egyptians gave a bunch of stuff as they were leaving Egypt, but they didn't. I, I don't know. But what I do know, it doesn't say how much military equipment they had, but what I do know is how much they had 250 years later. Okay? 250 years later, they asked for a king. What's that king's name? Saul. Saul becomes king, and understand what what Israel has become by this time. The people of Israel are being pounded by the Philistines because they hadn't meditated on the, the, the word of the Lord, and they hadn't done what he said. So they're being pounded by the Philistines, and then this little... what? the philistines looks like a ragtag group of people they ask for a king and saul becomes their king and first samuel 13 16 it describes the first battle that they're about to have with the philistines you guys want to read that say yes okay thank you okay first samuel 13 verse 16 saul and his son jonathan and the men who were with him were staying in Gibeah and benjamin while the philistines camped at Mi'kmash. you can't everybody say Mi'kmash! Okay, Mash. we're going to hear about Mash here in a second. So look down at verse 19. Okay, you guys with me in First, first Samuel um, 13? Okay, First Samuel it was 16. Now, now skip down to verse 19. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel. Because the Philistines had said, the Philistines are like, they're being mean to the Israelites. And they're saying, we don't want the Israelites to have a blacksmith because then they're going to make swords for themselves and they're going to defend themselves and we won't have the power. So, verse 22. So on the day of battle, the battle's about to start, right? This is Saul's just become king, and he's about to show himself really, really strong in front of all his people. And on the day of his battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. How many swords we got in Israel? Wow! Two swords! Now look at verse 23. Verse 23. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Micmash. Can you show me the pass at Micmash? It's actually a valley at Micmash. It's this ravine. I want you guys to see the picture. I tried to I, I, I tried to get it on Google Earth, but I couldn't get as good of a picture. So we just got. What's that? I sent you. I sent it on the on the email that I sent you. Okay. Well, he's looking it up. Okay. They go to Micmash and one day. So the, the 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 Philistines are camped at Michmash. There's a huge ravine, and Saul, or sorry, Jonathan and his armor bearer on the other side. And one day, Jonathan, son of Saul, says to the young man bearing his armor, "Doesn't sound like he's got a lot of armor. He's got one, they got two swords in the military." And uh, there it is, right there. Well, you can see. Okay, I, I don't think you guys can see very well. Sorry, that's not a very good picture. But this this is a. Gigantic ravine. I'm kind of like Grand Canyon style. It's not that deep, but it's it's you know way down. And they're on this side, and the Philistines are on this side. Sorry. I guess we should have worked on a better picture. But uh, he says, so Jonathan says to his armor bearer, "Hey, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. In other words, let's crawl way down here, and we're going to crawl up there and let's fight them. We got a sword, (laughs) and there's two of us, and there's a bunch of them." So down to verse 4. Oh, wait. Yeah, down to verse 4. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. Verse 5. One cliff stood on the north side of Macbash, the to the south toward Geba. Verse 6. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come on, let's go to the, to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps, may, maybe, who knows, maybe the Lord will act in our behalf. I mean, we're going to die anyway, let's just go try. I mean, I love his attitude. We're gonna die. Why not do something for the Lord before we die? That's Logan's slogan, right? You only you only die once. Make it count. Um, Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or few. In other words, if the Lord's really on our side, then it doesn't matter if we got a bunch of people or a few people. We can do what the Lord wants us to do. So let's go. Come on. Aren't you glad that he wasn't your boss? And verse seven. Do all that you got in mind, said his armor-bearer. Go ahead. I'm with you in heart and soul. Verse 8. Jonathan said, come on then. Then we will cross over to the men and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you. In other words, they they look down in the ravine and they're like, hey, you guys stay right there. Don't you guys move. Then we're not going up there. But if they say, hey, you guys, come on up and fight us, we'll climb up because that will be our sign from the Lord that they've given into our hands, okay? (laughs) This guy's brave, right? So both of them, verse 11, showed themselves to the Philippine out, Phil, not Philippine, Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out, crawling out of the holes they're hiding in. The, the men of, of the outpost shouted Jonathan and his armor bearer, Come up, toss, and we'll teach you, come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay, you guys know what that's like, right? Nobody's ever been in a fight before? Okay. Um, okay, so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Climb up! Climb, come on, come on, buddy! Let's go. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. So, verse thirteen. Verse thirteen. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet, and his armor bearer was right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him in that first attack. Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some twenty men in the area of about a half an acre. Then, so they killed twenty guys. These two guys, ten each. They got one. Well, got one sword, but as soon as they kill one guy, now they got two swords, right? Armbearer's got a sword now and he's not having to fight with his fist and they 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 kill 20 guys and then they're like, "Man, what's going on here?" and the guys run. The guys run, panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and in the field and those in the outpost and ready parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Now understand that there's something miraculous that happens here. Two guys don't normally kill 20 people. It's like the movies. But this is God at work. And, and then the rest of the story is that Saul and all them, they're, they're further a little bit south. And they see what's going on. And what happens is there's a great victory that happens that day. Okay? So back in Luke, back in Luke 22, what's the message for the people of the Cornerstone, for a bunch of college students and young adults in 2018 about Jesus saying, if you got two swords, you got enough? Is it possible that Jesus was thinking about what happened back there at Micmash? I think it's possible. Maybe he's thinking about what happened at Mi'kmaq specifically, but whether he's thinking about that specific thing or not, it's prophetic of what the kind of thing that God wants to do through his people who trust him. Now let me tell you about what happened at Michmash in 1918. Does anybody know about what happened at Mi'kmaq in 1918? Does anybody know what was going on in Israel in 1918? In 1918, after 400 years of um, of domination from the Turkish government, the British, because of World War I, and the British ended up being in war against the Turks, there was war that was happening, there was battles happening in Palestine. And the night b- before, a major battle was supposed to happen at micmash a guy named Gilbert, a commander, a young commander, he's a little bit older than you guys, who was leading some men, he had his devotions. And he opens up 1 Samuel 13, and he's like, this is the place. This is the place that this happened 3,000 years ago. And he goes to his commanding officer and he says, I think there's a way that we can get up there without losing the lives of all of our men. And they crawl up the same route that Jonathan crawled up and they liberate Palestine from the Ottoman Empire for the first time in 400 years. Two times in the same place. There were, no, there were more. There were more down below. Yeah, there were, no, it wasn't, yeah, sorry. But, but yeah, it wasn't two swords. It wasn't just two of them. They actually had guns. But, but here, here, here's the deal, guys. Jesus was about to release these 12 guys to take over the kingdoms of the world. That is his mission. The king will not have any, anybody contending with him. He is going to be the ultimate king. And he's going to release these guys into the world. And they say, Jesus, we got two swords. And Jesus' response is his response to all of us. What you got is enough. What you've got is enough. You're going to use what you guys have to stay true to me and to build my kingdom. And so I just want to say, you guys here at the cornerstone have battles to fight in your life that you do not have the equipment to win. You don't have the equipment to do what it takes to fulfill God's calling in your life unless he's in it. Are you guys listening to me? I don't know if you got two swords or two pencils or what your degree is or whether you got a car that runs or one that doesn't or don't have one at all. God has given you guys enough to fulfill his mission in this world. The question is, are you going to trust him or not? Are you going to are you going to stand back and say, God, I would love to do all the things that I'm dreaming of doing for you, but I can't because I don't have what it takes. Last year, last week in our staff meeting, Pastor Gary asked all of our all the pastors to bring in their God-sized goals. I said, guys, come on, let's just, let's just sh- we're going to have an extra long step, meeting. We're all going to share our God-sized goals. What is God calling us to do? And my God-sized goals, the things that I feel like God's called me to do, are so big that there is no way in the world that I'm ever going to get all the money and all the resources to do that unless God's in it. But I know God's in it. I mean, God's given us everything that we've asked for. I was like, I mean, just, you guys know the stories. Think about all the things that we're doing with this group of people, we're changing the world, guys. And I just want to say, don't let the lie stop you that you don't have what it takes. You guys have what it takes. Second Peter 1.3. His divine power has, past tense, given you people at the cornerstone everything that you need for life and for godliness through your knowledge of him who called you by his own glory and goodness. What's stopping you from doing what God's calling you to do? If God's calling you to do something, I mean, Jessica's opening an orphanage in India. Sudansha is opening up a cornerstone in Pune, India. We're doing ministry in Japan. We're trying to build a school in the Philippines. We've got so many things that we're trying to do. And there's no way we're going to sit back and talk about the things that we don't have. Because if God's in this, he's given us what we need, and we just need to go take the land. And guys, I'm saying, you don't have to do India or the Philippines or Japan. How about UTA? What is it that you want to see God do at UTA? And why aren't you saying, here I am, send me. I know that all of you deep in your heart want to see the people at UTA come to Jesus. And you're just wondering when God's gonna send the resources to make it happen. You got the resources in your hand. You got it. What are you waiting for? Now maybe it's not UTA, maybe it's your workplace. And just remember: faithful and little, faithful and much. Whoever can be trusted with very little that they have, and you're like, well, I don't have anything. Yeah, you got you got breath. You got people sitting next to you. You got opportunities. Whoever can be trusted in those little things will also be trusted with much. Who wants to be trusted with much? I mean, if, yes. Thank you, Thomas. I, Thomas, I hope you make ten million dollars before you're my age. And I hope you give nine and a half million of it away to help the people of the world. Guys, this is what we're about. We're changing the world. You are changing the world. You didn't. You're not here to sit and listen to silly me. You're here because God's calling you guys to something. And the truth is that all of us sit back and we just, we just say, I feel so inadequate. Join the club. <laughs> I feel so stupid half of the time. I feel so inadequate. I feel like, God, I can't do this. I don't even know if they, I don't, how am I supposed to do all the things you're calling me to do? And I'm so far past that, like, I don't even care what they think of me anymore. Because we're changing the world. I mean, I was scared. You guys, you guys know, some of you know the story back when, you know, It was 18 years ago that I became a pastor. I'd been pastoring for a long time. But 18 years ago, Gary didn't ask me to be a pastor. He just asked me to take over singles ministry. And then later I found out that I'm a pastor. I'm like, that's not fair. Because I would have said no. Because I was scared. Because I felt inadequate. I just want to say, his divine power has given you everything that you need for life. And God and to fulfill the calling that he's called you to. No weapon formed against you guys is ever going to prosper. You will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the vindication of the Lord. This is the heritage of the Lord, he says, for those who follow him. You guys have what it takes. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. A machine gun is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love to deliver you from death and to keep you alive in famine. Our hope is in him. He is our hope and our shield. In him our hearts will rejoice. Amen? Amen. You have what it takes. Say, "I I have what it takes. Let's do it. I don't know what it is, but God's calling you guys to do what he's calling you to do. Now that means going to school. That means doing your jobs. That means washing the dishes back at home. There's lots of small things too. God's calling you to do not just big things for him. He's calling you small things for him. He's calling you to do everything for him. So let's follow him. Guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, once again, we're just offering ourselves to you. We recognize that you've given us everything that we need to accomplish, the purpose that you've called us on, the mission that you've called us on. And so, Lord, I'm asking that you wouldn't let any person in this room be satisfied with the muck that the world offers. And, Lord, if you'll you'll just lead us, we'll follow. And we're coming close to you. And you promised if we come close to you that you'd come close to us. So would you guide us, Lord? Would you show us what's next? Not just business as usual, not just doing the same things that we've always done because we did them last week and last year. But that we'd step in new territory. That every person here would step in new territory and say, yes, Lord, I'm following you. And tonight there's some people in this room who need to say, Jesus, I'm going to surrender my life to you. I don't usually do this, as you guys know. I don't usually ask you guys for a public commitment. But, you guys, I'm asking you guys for a public commitment tonight. If there's somebody here who's never said, Jesus, I'm following you with my whole life, I just want to ask you to raise your hand right now, publicly. And I'm not saying everybody, everybody head down and every eye closed. I'm saying everybody can look around. Is there anybody here who wants to follow Jesus with their own life, who's, with their whole life, who's never said it before? Okay, Ryan, come up here. Anybody else? Yeah, you can clap for him. Clap for him. Okay. Is there anybody else who's saying, I want to publicly make a statement that I'm following Jesus with everything I got? Okay, guys, let's just pray for Ryan. Father, would it be that Ryan would live every moment of his life for you? Today, he's dedicating himself to you heart, soul, and mind, and strength, everything for you, Lord. Would it be? that you'd speak to him and lead his life, and that you'd grow him up, raise him up to be a man of God that would affect the world. Bless him, oh God, and bless every, peop- every person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, we're dismissed. Thanks for being here.